Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 91 of Real Blend, a podcast that saw the lighthouse. Yeah. The eh? movie. Eh? It exists. It's eh? a movie. We will talk about that and so much more in this action-packed episode. Uh, we have more Batman casting news that is going to blow you away, I think. I'm kind of I'm kind of blown away by it. Um, this cast is coming together pretty rapidly. We have all seen Doctor Sleep, finally, and we are going to discuss the film spoiler-free. And then this week we have a very special interview with uh, the star of Get Out and also Queen and Slim, Daniel Kaluuya. A great conversation that we can't wait for you guys to hear. Before we get into that, though, as we have done for 90 previous episodes, I need to introduce my illustrious co-hosts. I have Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jakey. How are you? My man. Uh, we can't say where you are right now, can we? You can say I'm in Atlanta. Um, you're in Atlanta. But you're not allowed to say why. You're hanging out with Tyler Perry. I have on the background <laughs> in my hotel room um, <laughs> this uh, Kingsman sequel that has Elton John in it. Oof. Oof. And, uh, but it's funny because <laughs> no, it wasn't. But I'm thinking a lot about Rocket Man because we're also going to talk about the best actor race uh, and our candidates for it. And then I saw Elton. Elton's been top of mind for me. And so it's funny to look over and see him in all of his. Uh, Flamboyant closer, here. Tiny Dancer. I will do that. Before we do that, though, of course, I have to introduce Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., the biggest fan of the World Series winning right. Washington Nationals. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Uh, good afternoon to you, uh, uh, Sean. And I, I want to point out to our viewers real fast or our listeners real fast that uh, we record this podcast every single week and we get a, we get on Skype together and no matter where we are in the world or the country, we figure out a way to do the show together. So I'm in Los Angeles right now. Jake's in Chicago. Gabe's in St. Louis. And Sean's in Atlanta. And it, it just blows my mind that we get to, like, still do our show no matter where we and are in the world. You know, There was one time, like, you were in, it was, like, midnight London time. <laughs> I was in London for something, yeah. And, I, and, like, you guys were, yeah, and we did the show. We always make it happen somehow because we have to figure out our crazy schedules when we do these shows. And, uh, like, I'm here for Ford v. Ferrari, and we can get into that later because that's going to talk, talk about the actor race because that movie, performance-wise, blew my mind. I can't wait to talk, discuss with you guys about if Bale and, uh, and, uh, and Damon have a chance, you know? I'm finally excited because the back half of this year is starting to get really, really good. Jake has been mentioning that, like, yeah. you know, first half was kind of meh. And I think at one point we were even talking about on the podcast what a struggle it might be to put together a top 10 list. And now, like, yeah, really, really good movies are getting left out. Yeah, this, well, this year went from yeah. I don't care at all. And, and I don't know if you guys remember when we were all together in London and we had to do the top five. I was very active and saying, I do not want to do this. I don't <laughs> want to. And yeah. now I'm looking at my top 10 going, I don't want to do this because there are so many movies that I love this year. And there are going to be some truly great movies that don't make my top 10. I, I hate the only downside. I'm sure you guys experience this, too. The only downside of doing a top 10 list at the end of the year is when you don't put a movie on it, someone goes, inevitably will say, oh, you didn't like it? You didn't like that movie? Because it's on a... And I go, no, there are a lot of great movies that I really like that don't make my top 10 list, but not everything. It's not like only 10 movies come out this year that I like, but that's the downside of top 10s that people assume that that's all you liked 
all year long. Yeah. Well, and we're going to discuss a lot of them as we get into. Uh, th- th- so this episode, we're going to focus on best actor and best actress, but it's not one of those deals where kind of when we started awards blend. That we would sounds do, like an awards blend kind of thing. It dude. is a throwback. Yes. Well, I mean, that's still I think it's a topic that's really interesting to all of us. And I think it's really interesting to our listeners as well, too. So but before we do that, listen, we're getting way ahead of ourselves in terms of the episode. Let's get to a review. Um, we have reviews that we read at the top of the show. You guys write reviews about us, which we always appreciate. Uh, this one comes from cool four, five, six, four, four. I'm not quite sure the significance of those numbers, but this is cool four, five, six, four, four, who writes an amazingly insightful podcast. I have been a huge lover of movies for the past 10 years and a lover of podcasts for the past two. After seeing rave reviews of this podcast on Twitter for literally the last eight months, I finally decided to tune in. Kevin, Sean, and Jake have great chemistry and are able to lead great conversations about film, including new angles of interpretation that are helping me to experience cinema in a new light. I would highly recommend to anyone who even has just a slight interest in movies, their love for this medium is so contagious, I think it could help anyone love them more as well. Guys, keep up the phenomenal work. Dunkirk, all exclamation points. And I want to point out that listeners advocating on Twitter. I'm reading this as Gabe is typing it. Oh, listeners advocating for the show on Twitter absolutely helps. We've been saying that because we don't really have like a marketing budget or some such thing, that the best way for you guys to help the show grow is to just, after listening to us, find a friend, like another film-loving friend who you know would dig a show like this and just tell them to tune in and start listening. Um, we do hear Sean, from Sean, I've been meaning to talk media. to you about that. When it comes to a marketing budget, how important is it that your kids <laughs> actually go to college? Um, it's pretty important <laughs> because we important. could get a lot of stretch from this podcast with that, with whatever you got saved up <laughs> yeah. with our college funds. We're well, only doing this for Sean's kids. That, that, that's really, like, I, I really, I really need you to question in your life. What's important, you know, send, send, send your kids to the school of hard knocks and, and let's, let's put that money to good use. Maybe you guys are forgetting that we have notepads. We do. <laughs> That's where all of our money went. <laughs> notepads. They are very nice notepads. And believe me, if you come to the DC meetup on January 4th, uh, we'll have more notepads. More, we'll have more notepads for you. For you. <laughs> Gabe, please confirm more notepads. <laughs> please put an order in now. Uh, before we get uh, to Pat on the back, guys, uh, we have one other uh, review that I want to read. So, again, if you guys want to leave us a review. Is it a bad uh, one? It's it, yeah. Well, it might be a bad Whoa. one. And these uh, reviews are very important. And I know Sean mentions this every week, but some more than others. With iTunes specifically, um, the ratings and the reviews are very important for where the podcast ranks. And the more reviews and the more ratings we get, the more our podcast gets visible on public, you know, viewings of what oh, yeah. other film podcasts. So it's we we say this every week because it's important. And and the more people who listen to our show the better, you know, we can produce things and do things and more things. So it is, it's important. These reviews are very important. We don't say them to pat ourselves on the back. As Sean said, we do it really because it's an important thing to kind of get our podcast shown and and out there. Well, we're uh, small. We're we're, we're new. You know, we're only a year, almost two years old now. And this is, this is, it's very important for us to have that. This one is not quite a pat on the back, BDK. This is from uh, oh. this is from Yum Yum Get Some, which oh. I actually that that wins as one of my favorite names for for a, a podcast review. They say uh, love the interviews, and they gave us uh, two two stars. Mm. Um, 
and they say, uh, my, my, my the, brother, probably the only thing I don't like is hearing them talk about Star Wars and comic book movies constantly. And Gabe wants me to say, well, buckle up, yum, yum, because it's award season. I know who that I know who wrote that review, by the way. It's Martin Scorsese. It's Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, he wrote the review. It's OK. Marty, we, we understand, man. We get we it. We do. And we love you, Marty. We he love said, you. He, he we love the Irishman. We do. Just enough about Star Wars and comic book movies. OK, so obviously, <laughs> we cannot, as Kevin just said, the, the support on social and the reviews mean so much to us. Uh, it's really important you guys keep them coming. Thank you very much for doing them. So I mentioned briefly uh, the DC meetup. We have uh, come to the decision that because of based on feedback that we're getting from people, the celebration of our upcoming 100th episode, which we're going to commemorate with a very special meetup in Washington, D.C., uh, is now going to be held on the afternoon of Saturday, January 4th. Uh, there is a link uh, in the description of the podcast right here, you can go to to link and RSVP for people are grabbing tickets to it already. You can also head to uh, this website, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Real Blend D-C, R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D-D-C. Now, obviously, we have a lot of time between now and January. Um, but what we're hoping is that if people tell us for sure that they want to come, it'll give us an idea of what type of venue we need to get um, because – we're already getting a pretty good response. And, you know, I think once Kevin, Kevin, you, you know, sort of downplay this a little bit, but, but you have a big following in Washington. And the fact that we're doing this here in DC is going to be, I think is going to make this a pretty big event. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and, and we've seen in our reviews and we'll wrap this up, but we've seen in our reviews that people are finding our show through our local stations. So like Jake, has a lot of fans in Chicago who found our podcast through his social. Same with mine, Sean, same with yours. And like anything cinema blend wise, that's the beauty of like, again, like Sean mentioned with the marketing aspect of it, it's, it's all being done organically. It's just people who listen to us locally that are that are. So yeah, I'm super excited about the DC meetup and my mom is confirmed. She will be there with my dad. Um, and I'm really excited about it. It's gonna be special. For sure. That's so awesome. Can't wait. Okay, so we do a weekly poll. Uh, we post it on Fridays. The one we posted most recently, because we're heading into November, is tell us your most anticipated November movie. And I gave you three options and then an other. Your three options were The Irishman, Knives Out, and Ford v. Ferrari. There were a lot of them. And one of them was a movie that came out in September. What? No, no. Come on. I didn't mess up again, did I? No. Okay, good. Just making sure. All right. Well, the Irishman dominated. The Irishman took 50% of uh, people who cast votes. I'm surprised it wasn't more, actually. 50%. Knives Out got 31%. Ford Ferrari got 12 And of the others, we heard a lot of picks for Frozen 2. A lot of people weighed in saying they really liked the first movie. They're interested to see where it goes. Harriet got a few. Charlie's Angels got a few, and then a movie that we're going to talk about uh, in depth later on in the episode, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep got a few. So, I mean, in general, November's looking pretty exciting, and it seems like a lot of people are really fired up for for The Irishman, which, can we review that yet? Can we talk about it? I think we should, because, yeah. uh, and, and, and with non-spoilery, but all- in Chicago th- this weekend. Yeah, so all three of us have seen it, and people, th- this is something that's been confusing for a lot of people, is how they're going to see the movie, and it's just, it's just a standard platform release, so like, you know, they do New York and LA, then they do, they'll do DC and Chicago this weekend, November 8th, and then they'll roll out, continuing, and then it hits Netflix streaming on the 27th. 
I do think we sh- if we have time today, just briefly give thoughts, and Gabe can talk about that later on, but if we want to, but Sean did see it, and there's something big that happened in Sean's top 10 with that movie that I think we should definitely address, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's leave some time for it. So, the interview this week uh, is with Daniel Kaluuya, and it might sound a little bit strange because we have not seen... Queen and Slim yet, which is the film that he is uh, ramping up promotion for. But the reason why this interview happened is because I was lucky enough to go down to the Savannah Film Festival. He was receiving an award and he was doing some press and we pitched him for the podcast and he agreed to do it. And it ended up being a really fun conversation because it was freed up a little bit from him having to promote a movie necessarily. So we were able to really jump around and touch on a lot of aspects of his career. And I also want to point out something really fun that Jake and I did this weekend. Jake was in New York uh, interviewing Bill Condon, an interview that we're going to have on the show later on. And Jake and I were just having a lot of fun just sort of geeking out, sending each other our audios after we completed the interviews and just like comparing questions. And Kevin, I want to tell you this too. This I listened to Jake's Bill Condon interview as I was preparing my Daniel Kaluuya questions, and it actually inspired me. I had a geek out dinner without Jake even having to <laughs> Well, so without further ado, why don't you guys listen to uh, my conversation with Daniel Kaluuya from the Savannah Film Festival on behalf of the Real Blend Podcast. All right. Um, thank you so much for taking your time to do this. I'm really excited to, to do this. I'm going to do a quick intro and um, then we'll dive right into it. Um, guys, we are so excited to be here, obviously, at the Savannah Film Festival. We're here for SCAD Savannah Film Festival 2019, and we're joined by a very special guest, Daniel Kaluuya is here with us. Hello, Daniel. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Good to be joining us. Um, you have had an impressive career, obviously, to date, but lately have been on a spectacular run in terms of directors that you've been able to work with. Mm. Um, Denis for Sicario and Ryan Coogler for Black Panther, obviously, Jordan Peele for Get Out, uh, Steve McQueen for Widows. And I'm just curious how much of that plays into, how much is that a component of your decision of projects that you're choosing, uh, of who the director is and, and who you're going to collaborate with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of the, the directors that, that you listed, I've just, I've already been a fan of them. Right. So I was just naturally, a fan, and I'm always very forensic about how I've arrived to their work. If I've, have I arrived to their work because it came up in a, in a meeting or, or, or like, I feel like I should watch it or, did it come up? One of my friends, you just got to watch this film. Right. You just got to watch this. Or I felt I felt I had to watch it opening day. Or do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like the, the filmmakers you listed, they've just been around me. Like as just people, like just naturally. It's like prisoners. I remember my friend just telling me, yo, there's this film called Prisoners. I was like, what's that? This is like, top down, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. I was like, all right, cool, 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 cool. And then later on, and then like people were like, Telling me to watch Creed, right? Like that, got your watch Creed, watch Creed, watch Creed. And are you thinking uh, like, oh, another Rocky movie? Yeah, and I thought it was just, I was like, it's gonna be Black Rocky. I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh. and then and then they were like, no, 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 and then I watched it, and I was like, I nearly cried, man. Flip messed me up. Like I was like, oh my god. And then uh, and then I, I think I watched Fruitvale. I watched Fruitvale as well. So I, I just, I don't know, I was just around, around, and then Jordan, I love Key and Peele, that was just in the WhatsApp groups, his sketches and stuff, so um, it's all just like, and then and then just kind of led by the idea, like Steve's stuff, I always would watch opening week, 
Do you know what I mean? He's a black Londoner, so like you always feel invested. I thought Hunger was a fascinating film. For Shame was a fascinating film. Joey Slays, like, do you know what I mean? It was just around it. Um, there was this topic of conversation, mm -hmm. so. You haven't had a chance to repeat with any of them yet. Would you like to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> whatever they I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to, but that's what I'm trying to say is a lot of time it's like the idea's got a lead and I may be in it, I may not. Like I kind of, I don't know, like if there's they don't, there's no you know, space for me, then I, I'm watching their films whatever right. I'm in it. I'm not, like it's not like it's, I'm going to watch it, so. Right. Um, you have obviously done, you know, Stephen Queen films, uh, Denis films and Black Panther. It's a huge debate nowadays about uh, our superhero film cinema. What, what is your take on that whole discourse? What, is, what do you define as cinema? It's like, it's the word cinema is subjective. So it's a kind of depends on, it depends on who you're doing it for. If you're like, if, you, if you're like, I don't know, like film alumni and then you're like on film school and this is that and the other, you're probably not going to, you're going to want to watch Lars von Trier. Because that's, that's your lane. Yeah, yeah. It's your lane. Like, it's like, that doesn't mean that that's like, it's art. It could be whatever. Like, I, I, it's, 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 it's almost like the same debate when like, hip hop's not music or like, like punk's not music. It's like. Right, right, right. It's just, like, I don't, it's just, it's just, it depends on who is, not everyone's blessed enough to have a film school education. Sure. So they're going to go, well, this is, this is storytelling to me. Sure. This is what it speaks to me. This is what, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, uh, if someone's got something to say, I, I just try and listen to it. I don't, I don't mind what kind of aesthetic that they choose to say. But you, through. you see the craft that goes into those. You see the, the well, blood that, and sweat that goes into a superhero <laughs> film, like that Kugler put into Black Panther. If you listen, if you. I'm, I, the thing is with me, I'm kind of like, I like people, I want, I make films for people that watch two films a year. Okay. Oh, interesting. That's who I make films for. Okay. So I'm either going to be, I try and be one of the two, or you got to squeeze me in. Squeeze me in in that third one, because you like, do you know what I'm saying? So like, because all the film alumni, they're going to watch it. Sure. Okay, sure. You don't have to convince them. Right, right, right. They go ahead and watch it. Like, so... I, 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 and if they want to watch Fast and Furious and that makes them happy because they're working it's their money right 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 that makes them happy like it can do and if they see that as cinema then they see that as cinema okay I don't think I think people that are probably saying that they're, they're probably going they're probably making films for different people and, and, and to them that's true so basically both sides of the debate are right and it's just and yeah is Queen and Slim that third movie? I hope so. Yeah, I, that's why. That's why I hope. I hope it's kind of like where it's there's a conversation happening, and then people go, you know what? I, I don't want to be left out. Okay. I just don't want to be left out. There's a conversation that's happening. I don't want to be left out. And I and then and it, it's it's about real people. Okay. Um, on a date, on a Tinder date, do you know what I'm saying? And, and when stuff happens, and like I don't know, it just felt like one of those premises is go. You just want to know what happens next. Okay. I just wanted to know what happens next. And I think sometimes that's what gets people in the cinema after a trailer, because what happens after that? Right. right. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, I hope, basically, I, I hope it's one of the two, or a little cheeky third, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, that's really, you bring up two movies of yours that really, if you didn't see them, 
you were out of the conversation uh, in Get Out yep. and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting. Now, is that is your takeaway from this a byproduct of being part of those two films that you kind of realized that, oh, wow, we're really generating something here and people are dialing in? No. That's what I want to do. That's always been. I, I, had to take, I had to take some time out. And then I, I kind of, it's not even like, I, I, re, I all it was, I just had the words for what I was doing. I just had the word. I understand. I, I could articulate it, and I could go. Oh, that's what it is. That's what draws me to that. Because right. I think me as a human being, I think my sensibilities are quite populist. Okay. They just are. Like, and that's just who I am. Because I'm coming like I grew up watching sitcoms. I watch Friends. Right. Like I didn't. Like I wasn't. Like <laughs> I'm not watching some weird. Like I'm not watching some niche stuff. I'm sure. watching Dragon Ball Z. I'm watching cartoons. I'm watching. You know what I mean? It's like. Right. So that's who you are. So then, but I really respect great cinema and great craft. Okay. Like I deeply respect like something like a prophet or a Scorsese or or Ken Loach or do you know what I'm saying? It's like I like Shea Meadows. Like these are like incredible filmmakers. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's like when I'm educated, I understand that. But I just don't think they should be exclusive. Sure. I don't think there should be one camp and there should be another camp. I was like, why don't we just do the same? Right. Like why don't it's like, why I call it accessible excellence. I think there's a lot of excellence that's inaccessible. So I just go, because you need to understand cinema to understand what's going on. Okay. There's a lot of films I go, I watch it with my uncle. I'll sit down and watch it with my uncle. I go, do you understand? He goes, nope. He watched Steven Seagal films. Yeah. He's lame. I'll, I'll, I'll throw him a little art house <laughs> and see how he feels about it. He doesn't understand what's going on. Right. But it's like, so, and I'm, why, that's my family. Why wouldn't I want him to understand what I do? Sure. Why, why wouldn't I? Does it like... Who am I doing this for? Like, I, I like, so, so yeah, I just don't, I think it's, I think, but that's just like how human beings end up being. Everyone just wants to divide themselves or wear this or wear that or it's this or it's that. It could just be both. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? I think sometimes, both. sometimes, and I think the filmmakers that I've worked with are passionate about both. Okay. In one, in one project. Okay. They want to make, they want it to be cinematic and accessible and exciting. I think Melina has that as well. Okay. I think Shaka King has that, who I'm working right now has that. I think Ryan definitely has that. Okay. I think Steve, 12 Years a Slave is a hard house film, but it's very, it's a film film. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, um, uh, and uh, Jordan, I mean, look at us. Do you know what I'm saying? It's sure. like, it's like, and Denis, I just think that, that, I think that's, just probably I understand that that's my lane. I just try and be in that lane. Was there ever a chance you were gonna uh, keep working with Jordan for us? Were you ever up for that role? No, no, no. Uh, I was too, I was too, too young, too young, yeah, too young. Um, you know, you say you call yourself populist, and and but you but you respect the artists, but your name is in a group, uh, which when I looked at it today, I just sit back and be like, Jesus, it's uh, Timothy Chalamet, Gary Oldman, yeah. Daniel Day Lewis, and Denzel Washington. Uh, does that ever not? Uh, does that ever feel normal? <laughs> someone texted me today. Someone texted me the other day, actually, two days ago. Okay. I was like. You're an Academy Award nominated actor. I was like, bro, you know what? No one says that. <laughs> it's like, bro, I, I kind of am in it. Like, I was like, that's kind of. Literally, two days ago, some guy I knew from gym, like back in the day, was just like, Dan, do you know what? That's kind of mad. I'm like, bro, that's mad. I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think it is, uh, that is very, it's very surreal, especially on the kind of film that it was on. It was just like, it's a, you're just never going to think that yeah. that would happen. Right, right. So, so that 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 is it's just very like, like I, mean, I know what Gary Oldman means back home. You know what I mean? It's like 
Is it Neil by mouth? He directed. You know what I mean? Like he like this guy Gary Oldman's a legend, man. Like so well, he's local, like he's from he's from the manor, so it's very um and Denzel Washington is just the older I get the more I appreciate that man. It's just okay. it's just insane the work that he's done and and he's just insane. he's just insane. Like so it's just it is it's weird, but that's what's probably the weirdest thing. You meet these people and then you realise they're just people. Right. You get a lot of time with them on the circuit, you know, when you're going around promoting an award yeah, movie. I spent a lot of time with Chalamet, Tim. Mm. Spent a lot of time with him. And then um uh Gary Oldman I saw a lot. There was this uh there was this dinner that they did before the Golden Globes and they, they, every male actor okay. that was um they did a dinner. And uh, so we sat down and got to know everyone. You know what I'm saying? And like, so Gary was there and um, met him, had a conversation with him there. Denzel had me at events and I don't know, I just, I'd say something silly and I don't even go, why did I say that to him? And just go flipping and just beat myself up for the next two weeks. <laughs> so dumb, like, I say, so dumb, like, like, like why, why? Like, why would you say that? Like, you know I'm like, oh, man. And then, uh, and then Dan, Day Lewis, hey, him, he came up to me at the Baptists. That was mental because he was he was like at three events. He went to three of them. Okay. And he went to Golden Glows, Baptists, Oscars to sit. Okay. So he um he came up to me. And he's kind of from London as well. He, he says he's Irish, but I don't know how Irish. Is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't actually know how Irish. Does anyone actually know how Irish Danny Day Lewis is? I don't. It's like it's kind of he's like Irish fluid. It's like what is that? Trans-Irish or something. I don't know what's going on. But like, he's as Irish as a lot of Londoners. So it's... <laughs> no, I love, 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 love. D-deal. Um, but uh, no, he's um, he's actually pretty cool. He's actually like, when I met him, he's actually cool. Cause, yeah, because he said he was South London. I was like, I know what kind of Irish you are. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so even meeting him is very... Uh, it's very weird. It's very weird. He's like, straight. Like he's strangely astronomically talented. So it's just, it's just like, it's very weird to even like sit down with him and like pick his brains about stuff. Like, remember I had a conversation with him at the Oscars and that, and like, I was just like, what is going on? Do you know what I'm saying? And he said, the fact that you're asking that question means you're saying, really. And that really helped because it was a, it's I don't I was I don't know what the feeling was when I was there. It was, so I've never felt like that before. It was like a, it's like a, it was a very weird feeling. I don't even have the words for it. I don't know how I felt that day. It was very odd. You've um, written before. Any yeah. interest in directing? Yeah, I think that's where I'm heading. Yeah, I think that's probably where I'm heading. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll probably yeah maybe yeah I most likely will, but I just okay. need to I just need to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons, not just because like oh I'm a director now. Okay, you know, what I'm saying? You know some people do that. Sure, just as more for their PR strategy. But if you see a story, you know that speaks to you, and you start to visualize. I've I've heard from people who get into directing that they they find a story they can't stop thinking about how they would visualize it, how they would. Tell. But that's the thing. That's why everyone everyone's been saying I'm a director since I was young though, because I in order to write I have to see it. That's probably why it takes me so long to write it. Okay. I have to have seen the film and then the script is essentially the summary of the film okay. or the summary of the short. Mm-hmm. So they said, Daniel, if you're seeing it, that means you should direct it. So, but then I just haven't got around to it. Right. It's just like, there's just so much to do. 
Well, uh, back to Queen and Slim real fast because um, it's for those of us who track the Oscars, and I hate to you know put it into an awards category when you come out a certain time. That's what it becomes, and we start talking about it that way. But it's still a mystery to a lot of us. Has it started screening for people yet? Have people started to see it? Yeah, people started to see it. Are they? Okay. Yeah. I've been filming, so I don't know. I don't really know. I get good vibes. Okay. Yeah, so I get a couple of texts. This is, this is a good litmus test when you get texts. When you don't get texts, you know it's a bit rubbish. <laughs> you don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever tell you it's bad. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, I saw it. <laughs> they get very factual. <laughs> I saw I saw that film. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah? in it. You're in it. You're in that. You you're in that. <laughs> yeah, well me. done. Well done is the sneaky one. Because <laughs> it's just well done for doing it. Yeah. Just well done. <laughs> it, it feels else. like a compliment, but it's not. <laughs> but it's um but I actually like that because it's because they need to be invited to give you a critique. Okay. Do you know what I'm and then sometimes I can't be bothered to hear it. So um, you're talking about Johnny English Reborn? Is that? Is that I love Johnny English Reborn, mate. <laughs> yeah. But that was very quiet. My phone was very quiet during those times. I had uh, paid up everything, man. My phone number. Yeah, no one takes. Checking it every once in a while. No, no you don't. No, no, no. It's a different. But the thing is, with Britain, it's the different film culture. Because more people see it when it comes on TV. Oh, really? Okay. It's not really a cinema culture as much as it is in America. That's what I've really realised. It's like really is a culture to go out to the cinema on a Friday, Saturday in America. Whilst in England, I think you have to be more of a cinephile to to do it. Or else you just... Because everyone's just like, I'll just wait till it comes on film four. Like... You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, so then usually two years later, a lot of people go, oh, I saw World with Departure. Oh, I saw you on Johnny English. Oh, I saw you. And then it hits. And also a lot of people got kids. So they're like, it's a city. So you're like, I'm not going to. Sure, sure. I feel like with Widows, there was a movie that it was similar to, or people thought it was going to be similar to. So people caught it in my circle, like after, you know, like later. Mm. And then they were like, oh, I saw Widows. It was really good. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it was. You know, we were telling everybody to go see it yeah. necessarily. And they caught up with it after the fact. Um, I just, I'm most curious about with Queen and Slim, and I'll end it here. Um, how much time you get to build a bond with Jody um, before you get to shoot? Uh, and I know that an actor, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not, uh, maybe this isn't accurate, would like as much prep as possible, you know, to get to know a person. But when a movie rests solely on the bond of the two people involved in it, how much time do you get to? We set each other on the chemistry read, and then like we got a vibe, so there was a click there. Then we sat down together separately, just got to know each other. Then we was around. But then what's interesting about it is like, we were obviously because of the haircuts, we had to really shoot it chronologically. Oh. So we didn't know each other at the beginning. So you didn't need to have that kind of bond at the beginning, okay. do you know what I'm saying? So it was kind of like, we could actually play it out how we play it out and it's just understanding our characters. Talk about how we see it, how we see it. But um, we went through the script with Melina and Lena, the whole script. A lot of times went through through that and yeah and just kind of trying to be honest in the moment um and Jody's just a really open person so that was it's not it's not very difficult to to create that chemistry to create that bond with she's very generous right. as a performer and I hope I I, I extended that to her so I think it was again it's just about to do with reasons and it's why you're telling the story and mm-hmm. it usually attracts the uh, open and generous people. And who are you working with now? Shaka King, which actually Ryan Coogler's producing. Um, it's a film called, actually it's untitled at the moment. Okay. They changed the name. They don't know the name yet. But it's a, it's a biopic about Fred Hampton and um, through the eyes of Bill O'Neill, who is a FBI informant that was in the Black Panthers 
at the genesis, at what the, what the beginning moments of it, and how his story uh, uh, and him navigating the Black the Black Panthers and how how in Chicago they kind of he uh, facilitated their demise. Okay, good. Can't wait to hear more about that. Yes. You mentioned Black Panther. Are you coming back? I don't know yet. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Not sure. I hope so. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, no pressure. Story's king. Story's king. Whatever the story needs, the story needs. Yeah, same. We'd love to see you back. Thank Cheers, you. Brother. I really appreciate your time. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking to him. And what I loved was he gave me a perspective of something. He comes from London. Uh, I love that he admits that he's um, a populist audience uh, film goer and that how he referenced his uncle who, you know, doesn't want to watch a lot of highbrow stuff, would prefer to sit down and watch Steven Seagal movies. But, but one thing he said to me that really stood out and caught me off guard was I make movies for people who go see two films a year. Like he knows that movies aren't, a, you know, they're a luxury for a lot of people. You know, they don't have disposable income to go see everything that's coming. And uh, I love that he's so in tune with his audience that he knows that he has to make special things uh, in order to get them out of their houses and into the theaters. And I just, uh, I thought that awareness was, was really fantastic. And I, I, I honestly, he's a great interview and, and like get out was a performance that I think one of my favorite things about get out was people realizing he's British. Like, you yeah. know, like his American <laughs> accent in get out is flawless. Like it is absolutely flawless. And he's always been a genuinely good dude. And, I, and I'll say something like I got him for get out before he blew up. And then I got him for black Panther and it was the same guy. And like, based on Sean's reaction to that interview and kind of the way he treated Sean in that interview, I, I like that. He's, I like that. He's staying that guy. Like he's a good dude. And I, and I'm, I'm just happy that honored that he was on our podcast. It's very cool. And, um, Kevin, I'm going to I'm digging it up because I lost it here for a second, but I wanted to read the people in the category, his best actor category. He was nominated alongside uh, Timothy Chalamet, Gary Oldman, Daniel Day-Lewis and Denzel Washington. Insane. Absolutely insane. (laughs) Isn't that insane? Isn't that just nuts? All right. um, So let's get to talking points this week, because right before we started recording or earlier today, at the very least, more casting news for the Batman. Marty, I'm really sorry. I know it annoys you, but we have to talk about some comic book news really, really fast because two big names were added to Matt Reeves's uh, Batman film per deadline. Uh, these these actors are in talks. We're going to say right now, nothing has officially been confirmed or we're digging around for confirmation. But it's sounding like Colin Farrell uh, is circling the role of the Penguin uh, for Batman and that Andy Serkis is in talks to play Alfred. Which I love because Matt Reeves and Circus did the Planet of the Apes. So, like, I love that they're reteaming. So, I, I, I is want he gonna, Circus. Is it going to motion capture as, like, an old man? Is it going <laughs> to like, like Honestly, a 90-year-old man? Circus could pull it <laughs> off. I, I, anytime Circus gets work, it makes me happy. I think that guy is the most underrated actor working today. And I think because he's been behind so many digital characters that – to me, it's it. I'm happy that he's getting work in these high profile films. I mean, Lord of the Rings was high profile, but no one realizes that he was Smeagol and Gollum. You know what I mean? Like, not, like in the sense of like people that do what we do, they know that. But I want his face to get out there more. You know, what he's great in by the way. Little recommendation: Thirteen going on thirty. He's awesome oh, in that he movie. Yeah, so good great. in that movie. So good in that movie. 
All right, but but while it's great to see Andy Serkis get work, Colin Farrell playing the Penguin seems to be the real needle mover here. Is this not totally bizarre to you guys? Are you guys uh, like on board? Well, see, that's what excites me about it because I feel like if it had been a safer choice, someone like you know Jonah Hill, who we all kind of thought maybe was going to be playing that part, then we all sort of went like even they never even said Jonah Hill was going to be playing Penguin. They just said Jonah Hill's in talks to do Batman, and we all just naturally assumed, oh, it's got to be Penguin, right? I could not be more excited to see what Colin Farrell does with his character, specifically because I have no idea what he's going to do with it. To me, he's an unlikely choice. But he was the best part of when he played the villain in that, that the really bad Harry Potter movie that wasn't a Harry Potter movie, The Beasts. Um, Fantastic yeah. Beasts. Yeah. He was the best part of it. He was Beasts. great in that. And then it turned <laughs> yeah. out to be Johnny Depp, and I think we all went like, ah, oh, like, could, could Johnny Depp turn <laughs> back into Colin Farrell? Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I always think that, you know, it's, I, I hate this expression, because people use it for Brad Pitt a lot, um, but I don't think it's right. Uh, it's it's, a, it's a, a character actor in a leading man's body. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I do feel like that kind of suits him because ever, once he got past trying to do the, you know, the Daredevils, he started doing stuff with Martin McDonough. He did In Bruges and he did Seven Psychopaths. And, and I find he's so much better when he takes those really smaller, interesting choices. And I feel like he's such a, in such a good place in his career, he wouldn't take this role unless he thought there was something interesting he could do with it. You know, Jake brings up in Bruges, and I just want to take one second to recommend that film to anybody who hasn't seen it. Like, that is an incredible film. And like, you know, Jake mentions the roles that Colin Farrell has been doing. Lobster was incredible. I mean, he's, he's, he's done some great work. I was talking to our buddy Juan uh, from Puerto Rico because we saw Lighthouse together today. And we when we got out of the movie... Can we give just a shout out to, to Juan who is very upset awesome. that we haven't had him on the show in like 84 episodes? Yeah, but he's awesome. And, <laughs> and, and we, we, we saw Lighthouse together today. And, and when we got out of Lighthouse, ironically, um, since Pattinson's in Lighthouse, they, the Batman news was, was on our feeds when we got out of the movie. And he made an interesting point. Is it becoming too star-studded? Meaning like, is it too many big names and the sense of like Pattinson's a great casting for Batman, but there's so many, it's, it, it, there's so many moving parts to this thing. And, and I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried. Is it going to be too much in one film? Um, I'm going to remain intrigued, you know, me too. I, I, I love Matt. I don't Reeves. know what he's doing. Yeah. I don't know right. what structure he's going for. I trust Matt Reeves though. I really and also, do. But, and none of it seems like stunt casting either. None, none of it seems like casting big names for the sake of big names. Sure. I mean, they're all, People who I who intrigue me when it comes like Paul Dano. I cannot wait to see what Paul Dano does with Riddler. Okay, it's not like I mean honestly to me Jonah Hill falls more under sure. under the lines of a big name for the sake of a big name as opposed to Colin Farrell. I'm going ooh, you must have seen something interesting there. Yeah, Paul Dano. I, I honestly like that's honestly the flip side of what I just said is 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 this movie going to be so big? It's going to give these actors who I think are underrated people like Paul Dano. A chance to shine in a in, in front of a larger audience. I mean, we there will be blood and and the, and Escape from Danamora, which is a brilliant show that he performed brilliantly in. I don't think Paul Dano is at a status where people really know who he is in in a general public sense. And I think on the flip side of my argument about it being too star studded, I, I love the Dano casting. That to me is my favorite piece of. Can casting we give Paul Dano a shout out from The Girl Next Door? Yes, I I love the girl next door. I think that is actually a very sweet kind of like eighties kind of dirty romantic comedy. Um, that like it would have been perfect if it had been released in the eighties, and it just kind of got shoved aside when it came out. Emil Hirsch, Paul Dano, 
Um, Timothy Oliphant is fantastic. I yeah. love that movie. You know, we, we do this show every week, and I, I'll get messages from people who will, like, pick up on a little reference we'll put into the show, like it, like Jake's reference of In Bruges or The Lobster or Girl Next Door. And, like, people who haven't, who haven't seen these films, they'll go out and watch them, and, and they'll get an appreciation for them. That's kind of I, – I love that, like, a little mention can kind of bring someone to a movie that – like, In Bruges was a kind of an underrated film. No one really saw it, right? Box office-wise, it didn't make a lot of money. But Colin Farrell, I mean, Jake made a great point. He's been making some really interesting pieces of work. Like Pattinson kind of the same way, right? With Lighthouse and Cronenberg mm-hmm, stuff and Good Time. A lot of these Dana actors. Radcliffe. Yeah, Radcliffe. But Radcliffe hasn't had, really hasn't taken off like Pattinson has, right? Like in the sense of Radcliffe. Right, right. Radcliffe was, and I love Swiss Army Man, but Pattinson feels like he has a great momentum behind me. It makes me happy because I saw a lot of talent in him in Water for Elephants. And I think, you know, films like Twilight, while I understand that they were not critically well-received, I think he's a great actor who needed that boost to get that name out there. And then you put Safety Brothers on him in good time, and then you go, this guy is a damn good actor. And, and we can talk about Lighthouse at some point later in the show or another episode, but performance-wise, that guy is amazing, and it makes me way more excited about Batman. And I think Matt Reeves is truly one of the best filmmakers working today. We all, Cloverfield was brilliant. Everything he did with the Apes films, I mean, he's he's amazing, and I, I have full trust in him. I'm just a little worried about so much casting. Um, it just, I'm just getting a little overwhelmed. Like, we have Riddler in the film, and we have Penguin in the film. I, I, is it going to be too much? I'm a little concerned. It's the only thing I'm worried about. All right, we will continue to keep you up to date on Matt Reeves' as The Batman and all of the exciting casting. And speaking of exciting casting, I'm going to take us back to the early days of this show uh, because the three of us are proud members of the Broadcast Film Critics Association and we vote on the Critics' Choice Awards. One of the ways or one of the reasons why we started this show was to talk about awards. And we're getting into the season now where it's really fun because... We're all seeing the big movies at different times. Uh, Kevin will head out and see a junket. He'll do Ford versus Ferrari and finally catch up to it. Uh, we were all in TIFF, but we saw different things. Jake is starting to see some things that come through Chicago. So the text chain is really blowing up with, oh my God, I just saw this. It blew me away. Oh my God, this performance is, is blowing me away. So we wanted to stop and take a minute and start to go over um, some of the front runners in the main categories And we're going to focus on actor and actress uh, for this week's show. I want to start, if you guys don't mind, with actress because it seems like it's a little bit easier to wade through that field. Actor right now is is a minefield of uh, potential. And what I was um, saying at one point earlier when we were talking about our top 10 lists, there's definitely going to be people... Uh, uh, there are definitely going to be movies that don't make our top 10 because it's been such a strong year. And the same thing is going to happen, I think, in the Best Actor category in that once they finally announce only the five slots that they need to fill, there's going to be a, a number of really talented people on the outside looking in. So before we get to actor, let's do actress. Um, right now, it feels like, and maybe you guys tell me if I'm wrong, Renee Zellweger still feels like the one to beat in this category with a few big performances left to see. Do you guys still view her as a front runner or do you think she's sort of lost that early season momentum? Yeah, but I feel like it's a testament to the lack of um, really like massive competition in the category that she could even be considered the front runner. And no one's really talking about that performance. I mean, like it, it was, it was everyone was talking about it when we were, when we were all in TIFF uh, uh, earlier this year. And I mean, it's a great performance. And then we we're all sort of like, okay, well, let's see what else has come out. 
and not much else has come out. But then none of us are really. I mean, it it did okay. I think for 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 a smaller film at the box office. Um, I mean, I I think that uh, yeah, I would agree that she's probably the front runner. But I also think. Uh, that Scarlett Johansson could ride some momentum uh, with just how much I think people are going to love Marriage Story. I think people are, I think oh right gosh. now all the attention is on Adam Driver, but you can't have Adam Driver without Scarlett Johansson. And, and, and Sean, you know, I were both talking about this. You prefer her over him. I prefer I really him do. over her, but you can't have one without the other. Um, and I think people are going to love that movie. And I think that there could be some momentum in it for her because I, because the one thing I heard about Judy a lot was, She's better than the movie, which tends to be the case with biopics. No one is saying that about Marriage Story. No, 100%. And I, I agree with you with Marriage Story in that you can't have one without the other. Um, and one definitely feeds into the other. I think I was more blown away by her because even just this year alone, we saw him in the report. And I was really impressed by how he was in that. And he's got Star Wars coming so, you know, that might steal, depending on how good that is, not that it's going to be an awards contender, but people might really be talking about Kylo Ren's arc and, you know, what he brings to it, if that ends up becoming a really big part of that story. Um, the, the, the other, Kevin, what about you? Where do, where do you think in terms of a front runner for this category? Well, it's fascinating to me because I, I, I think in my mind, there's an obvious front runner who... I don't think a lot of people are talking about, which is Lupita Nyong'o and us. And I would I love if she's 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 my vote, actually. Yeah, and I and I and I, it's funny because I, I was on Gold Derby, which is you know it, it's a very it's an interesting website that like kind of talks about front runners and potential front runners. And Lupita was not even listed in like the the two front categories of con- what of, of contenders. Yeah, she's listed in in the actual uh, Gold Derby website. She's impossible contenders. Oh wow! And it's one of my this, favorite performances of the year. This year, I have not seen a better performance from an actress than Lupita Nyong'o and us. And I think um, Scarlett Johansson's performance in Marriage Story is devastating. It's a brilliant performance, and I hundred percent think she deserves to be nominated. Um, but as I sit here right now thinking of leading actress, nobody this year has blown me away more than Lupita and us. And I think that performance, unfortunately, may fall under the radar because the film didn't have enough legs. Like Get Out was a movie that stayed in the conversation throughout the rest of the year, which worries me about us because us is my favorite movie of the year right now. And I just don't feel like it's being talked about a lot. And I'm worried for Lupita because that performance... I mean, right now, I would give her the Oscar. I mean, that's how good the performance well, is. Well, but and you heard Daniel Kaluuya in the earlier interview where he's talking about Get Out, where none of them believed that they were an awards movie, you know? Like, they right. knew they were a genre movie, and they knew the Academy does. Like, they were really just happy to be there, and I think that's going to count against us. What about the fact that she won recently, though, too? Do you think that factors in? I mean, that's the thing that, that I find interesting about the Oscars is that it's really never – the award for the performance, it's, it, it's, it becomes a career award. It becomes what that person um, should have won for sure. or, or you know, giving Scorsese best picture for The Departed or director for The Departed and not giving it to him for Raging Bull and, and things and, and Taxi Driver. Like, I feel like it's a lot of make goods. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it bothers me that we have to have a conversation where we have to say Lupita won't 
win because she already won. Like that's not yeah. that 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 mindset is so bothersome to me because it should be about I the know. film. It should be about I the know. performance and yeah. like the idea that like Brad Pitt. Like it's interesting. Like you look at Brad Pitt, and we'll get into supporting categories and other episodes that we do. But like Brad Pitt. It's funny. I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here. I want him to win for Hollywood because he's amazing in it. But I think he deserves an Oscar just in general. The guy's a brilliant actor. So it's funny. I'll sound hypocritical because I'll go on both sides. But with Lupita (laughs) specifically, it concerns me that the film that she may not get in because, oh, she already won recently. And that, that, that just bothers me. It's like like that performance is so hard, so so hard on her voice, emotions. Like that performance is brilliant. I rewatched Us the other night and I just am floored by what she did in that movie. And the fact that she's not even in a consideration of the top five blows my mind. Blows my mind. Did either of you, either guys catch up with the farewell? Aquafina and the farewell? No. Aquafina, she's actually no. a listed as a, a, a big front runner, which I haven't seen the farewell and I really want to. And people, uh, you know, we do this bit every week on our show where we mention movies that are coming out and we joke that we haven't seen certain ones. We see a lot of films. I just saw Lighthouse. I just saw Parasite for the first time. And like, you know, we try to, and I want to see farewell and I love Aquafina and well, yeah, I I haven't seen it. So I can't comment. This year in particular, I'm actually going to benefit from a number of screeners. Just going to allow me to catch up. Do we too? Have we, have we explained screeners on the show? Why don't you Jake dive into screeners for us? So, so we uh, obviously see a lot of movies throughout the year, but obviously if you're familiar with the joke that we make on the show, we obviously, there are a lot of movies that we just don't get the chance to see. Um, and all three of us are members of an organization called the Broadcast Film Critics Association. And we have to uh, nominate films by the middle of December. Like we have to have our nominations in. And by nature of that, there's a good chance that that if we're counting on screenings or going to see things in theaters, we're going to miss stuff. Stuff hasn't come out yet. It hasn't screened yet. Uh, or we just haven't gotten around to it by the time it's time for us to nominate. So, um, and we're not the only organization to get these, but, but studios send us what are referred to as screeners, which are essentially just DVD copies. Um, but the significance of them is that they are DVD copies of movies that are in theaters or in a lot of cases, movies that aren't even out in theaters yet that haven't come out. So, for example, you know, I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll get a notification from my mailroom and I'll go down there and I'll have 20 different envelopes. And one of the envelopes might be a DVD copy of Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And one of them might be a DVD copy of Cats, God forbid. One of them might be, uh, you know, a DVD copy uh, of Us or, or The Irishman or, or Joker. And, uh, and so they do that to ensure that we've seen everything. Um, so, so The Farewell is an interesting example because to me that's the perfect kind of uh, screener movie where it's like, yeah, it would have been great to see it in theaters, but I don't really think I'm going to miss out on anything by not by, by sitting at home on a Friday night with a glass of wine and turning off my phone and watching it. Cause I, tr- I treat a screener with the same respect that I treat it as if I were seeing it in theaters. I turn off my phone and I, and I watch and I turn off the lights and I, and I watch cause I, cause I, I don't think a movie should be knocked because my schedule didn't allow me to see it, uh, in, in a theater. Yeah. And a lot of us play catch up too. Like, I mean, I just saw Parasite on Sunday. <laughs> Never. 
<laughs> like I just saw Parasite on You're just like in a movie theater yeah, Exactly <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I'm playing catch up right now I mean I, I still haven't seen Jojo Rabbit and, and that's because I was on vacation when that came out So I will Like I, I'm actually in a phase right now Where I'm actively catching up on movies that I missed While I was on vacation So like I saw Parasite Sunday I saw uh, Lighthouse today I'll see Jojo tomorrow um, So I, I, I'm I'm curious I, to I, see I what you think of Jojo That's not a movie that's, that's aging well with me it's 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 funny because it won TIFF and I'm I'm I just I'm wondering how great it is and I and I love I think he's a talented filmmaker I just haven't seen it yet so I can't comment on it but to the point though we all catch up and we all try to see as many movies as we can but right now Lupita Nyong'o is my is my top my top choice for best actress if I had right, to well choose. before we shift before we shift to actor um, three big movies that have yet to drop I mentioned Queen and Slim and I wonder what Jodie Turner Smith uh, is going to do alongside Daniel Kaluuya obviously Bombshell has uh, started screening for a few places and Charlize Theron is getting a lot of attention and then yeah I see it next week uh, fair enough okay well uh, Little Women is also due to screen Sony's going to start showing Little Women very soon and Saoirse Ronan apparently is getting a lot of attention Let- and shout out to Greta Gerwig for shooting on 35mm film on that movie because uh, you're awesome Thank come you, on our Greta show Greta yes. Gerwig we would love to interview you she'd be a fantastic yeah. uh, Roblin guest okay let's get into the madness that is best actor I mean, I mean, Jesus, Lord. I mean, I feel like all, at the end of the day, it boils down to um, it boils down to Adam Driver versus Joaquin Phoenix. I feel like everyone you else think is going. That's what for it is. It. See, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Like, too simplistic. Think, uh, no, no. I mean, I think Joaquin Phoenix. I, I, I think the two you're referring to would be considered the two massive frontrunners right now. I think anybody would agree that those two are the most talked about leading performances. I, I hadn't seen Ford v. Ferrari, Ford vs. Ferrari until last night. And it's funny because like going into last night, I, if I were looking at the best actor category, I would, you know, I, I would have Joaquin Phoenix. I would have uh, Robert De Niro for Irishman. I would have um, Adam Driver for, for Marriage Story. And the fact that Fox is actually Leo? pushing... Leo, Leo. Uh, yeah, Leo, yeah, that's right, Leo for Hollywood, and it's funny, because I I, I, cons- I almost consider Leo supporting in that movie, even though he's going to be leading, um, but it's funny, because I, I don't consider him a lead of that movie, but that's another whole other conversation, um, but I do think, after seeing Ford vs. Ferrari, I think it's interesting that Fox is actually pushing Damon and Bale in the leading categories. I and not told giving you, do they're they going to cancel, cancel each other out? out? They're going to cancel each other out, and they're I'm both telling you, fantastic. Like these performances are a plus. Like, Dude, they, you, if you, how would how would you do it? Would you give Bale? Actor and 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 yes. male lead and then Damon yes. supporting. I would. Yeah, I would. but it, but when you see the movie, it's hard to make that decision because they're both so. I mean, but they, they, people make that decision all the time. They made this. Sony yes. made that decision with Hollywood, and we just went with it. Dude, True, I actually think that, that's a good that's a good analysis a because point. they share as much screen time as as mm. Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio do, and they're both as the important to the city. Uh, to, yeah. the, to the city, they're both as important and, to the movie. It's fascinating. Like Ford v Ferrari is so Ford vs Ferrari is so interesting to me because it is about them. Those two are the lead of the movie, and like. But you know it, what's it, really funny about it? Neither one of them is named Ford or Ferrari. I know it's actually. Really <laughs> Where's the Ford and Ferrari? Uh, they're different, <laughs> and people don't know this. But where's the Ford V? And, both Ford and Ferrari's mom are both named Martha. I mean, it was like a very interesting reveal at the end of Ford v Ferrari. I was, I like, I was dude, I I will stand by that twist forever. I love. The, I, I, I actually, like that moment. 
I'm a big Zack Snyder fan. I love the Martha moment, and I will. I am not afraid to admit this. I did not know that both their moms were named Martha. I did not. That that never computed to me that both their names were Martha. I anyways, think a lot of people claim to know that because they think it makes them sound smart. There's no way. Um, but Ford vs Ferrari changed a lot for me last night. Um, I walked out of that film uh, absolutely floored by what Mangold did in regards to getting so much in camera. That film is, that's old school filmmaking to a T. It is genius practical in camera. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is because it's all about the characters, though. That movie works because of Damon and So answer me this, Kevin. Do either of them get in? It's interesting because I would argue that I would rather see Eddie Murphy and Adam Sandler get in for Uncut Gems and Dolomite. But it's right. fascinating to me because, okay, all right, Sean, since you've seen Ford vs. Ferrari, if you yeah. had to choose one, I would go with Bale. Bale. It, it, I'm not, it's not even close to me. And I, I think, think Damon's so terrific. I think Damon's right. terrific. But if I had to choose one of them, it's Bale. Bale is so good in it. He's yeah. so good in it. So, so it's interesting. Like right now, Sean, if I were to give you my five best actor without looking up anything online or giving you or giving any perspective to what the crowd is let talking about. Yeah. Let me I hear would it. go Phoenix. I would go Bale. I would go Sandler. I would go Eddie Murphy. And then I would go De Niro. Those no are my driver. No Adam driver. It's fascinating to me no because DiCaprio. Wait, 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 wait. No DiCaprio? Let me, let, let me let me clarify. This is a list of what I want, not what I oh, think okay. is going to happen. Okay, okay, um, okay, okay. I, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I want to live in a world where Adam Sandler gets a leading actor nomination for Uncut Gems. We I, could live in a world where Adam Sandler and Jennifer Lopez are nominated in the same year. What if Adam Sandler and Eddie Murphy got into a category? Two oh, SNL legends. For leading actor. Okay, but let's let's be 100% honest. As much as I love Eddie Murphy and I love Dolomite and I love him in Dolomite, I don't think he should win if he's in that category. I agree with you. Oh, I, I agree, agree with you. With you. I agree with you. I, I don't think Eddie Murphy should win. He's really good in it, but the, the other people ab- uh, in that category above him are, are phenomenal. But I want to live in a world where Sandler and Murphy were nominated in the same year. And, 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 and I'm not saying that because of their SNL background. I'm saying it because they genuinely deserve nominations. Like okay. when you, when, pe- when people finally see uncut gems, like it is, that is the performance of a lifetime for him, man. Like that is an amazing performance. I don't know, man. Did you see Jack and Jill? I did see Jack and Jill. And <laughs> Dunkachino, man. Dunkachino. All right. It's not Al anymore. Right. It's uh, Dunk. I have one right. question. What, uh, um, one of the- Jake, do you mind giving who you think your five are right now? Real fast. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go Joaquin Phoenix, Adam Driver, De Niro, DiCaprio. And then... I haven't seen uh, Uncut Gems. I, I see Ford versus Ferrari tomorrow. I, I Eddie Murphy? I I'll, yeah, I guess I guess I, I'll get the outside. But the fact that I'm already giving Eddie Murphy the outside spot when I haven't even seen everything is does not yield well for Eddie Murphy. Sean, real quick, your five. All right. I think Joaquin is a lock. I think Adam Driver's a lock. I think De Niro is a lock. I think those three are in. I think the other two go to DiCaprio. And I'm gonna say Eddie Murphy. I think those no bail. Do you do you think that um, DiCaprio oh, would Price. be considered more of a front runner if he hadn't won already? If he didn't have that, um, like, do you think this could be his year? Because remember, like, how badly people wanted him to win for the Revenant. Yes, but you know what? It feels like this might happen, and and I promise we'll move on after this. 
It feels like Hollywood might become one of those movies where the morning of nominations, we realize that all of a sudden it dominates every category and it leads with nominations. And then we say, oh, crap, the Academy loves that movie, right? Like it gets picture, director, screenplay, Pitt, DiCaprio, a ton of under the line stuff. And then all of a sudden we step back and we're like, oh, boy, Hollywood is the front runner because the, the Academy just adores it. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's that yeah, feels very it's, possible. It's I, mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by that if that happened. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like you're, no. you're 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 framing that as like, oh, that would be shocking. Like that wouldn't be shocking. To me. No, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't be shocking because I think it would deserve it. But like it, right now, there's a lot of movies that feel like they're in the in the conversation. Um, but that feels like it has the potential to dominate almost every category in terms I of mean, nominations. If I had to put money down, like which movie come that? What is it going to be a Tuesday morning? Is going to walk away with the most nominations. I'd probably say Hollywood. I agree. Or Irishman. Or Irishman. Or Irishman. That's a good. That's a good one too. Irishman or Hollywood. It's going to be one of those two. We will continue to have this conversation as the Oscar race continues. <laughs> Obviously, you can tell it's a very heated conversation for us. And as we get into, uh, gosh, once we finally know the five for Best Actor, it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be pretty contentious on this show. What a category! Man. Now, what now a to category. me, I think the most contentious category, the most interesting category that we'll talk about in another week, is supporting actor. That's and the one where I go, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that gets yeah. me excited. Okay, we have been talking about The Irishman uh, in terms of its awards potential, especially in the Best Actor category, as Jake teased. Uh, it might be a big player in Best Supporting Actor category. I want to bring it up for this particular reason. Uh, I mentioned something on social this week that caught a lot of uh, attention and some flack about how a movie I saw recently replaced Avengers Endgame as my number one movie of the year. I'm ready to reveal to everybody that that's because I saw Martin Scorsese's masterpiece, The Irishman. Avengers Endgame. (laughs) I do want to see Scorsese's (laughs) Avengers Endgame. Uh, I saw The Irishman. And I just want to clarify, because instantly, uh, from the people who I told that Irishman is now my new number one. They're like, oh, that, that means it's your new favorite movie of all time. And <laughs> I think I said that. That is not that necessary. That's a great Jake impression. You're not alone, Jake. It wasn't just you. That was an amalgamation of, of a Jake and several other people who said that to me. And it's just Avengers Endgame is, is going to remain my favorite movie of all time just because of the content. Like, obviously, I'm a Marvel fan. Seeing all of that stuff on screen um, happen in a Marvel movie is still always going to be very mind-blowing to me. Uh, I, much to Jake's chagrin, take it down off of the shelf and rewatch it multiple times because I can. Uh, I love it. I love everything about it. I think the Russos are brilliant, and I'm blown away by what they were able to pull off. However... The Irishman is just a better movie. <laughs> it's just on every level possible. Uh, it is a better movie. It's 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 expertly made. And this is not going to be a review uh, in the least bit. We're going to get into it in more detail next week. We're going to really break it down piece by piece as more people get a chance to see it. The boys will get a chance to weigh in in greater detail. Um, but it's it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's, it's Scorsese working on a different level. Jake and I spent... Uh, several hours texting each other about just details about it the other day. 
Because um, at first we were all on the big text chain and then Kevin and, and Gabe were not responding. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are busy living your lives. And, and then- so Sean and I just take it separate because we're like, they don't like us. So let's just talk amongst ourselves. <laughs> no, and then Gabe and I were our own separate text chain talking about how You assholes. You <laughs> well, and in fact, Gabe hadn't seen it. So we couldn't talk details also. So we had to- uh, also, like, I'm, I'm reading the book chat. right now too. So I wanted to kind of like bring in some of the stuff that I'm reading in yeah, the book. Yeah. So we will all explain in greater detail why the Irishman is something special, but I wanted to clarify uh, that, yes, it's Irishman that has now knocked Avengers Endgame down to number two on my list. And uh, and oh, the sweet, delicious irony when I publish a top 10 list that has the Irishman at one and Endgame at two, because Scorsese's going to Scorsese wins. (laughs) He's going to get so excited and then question my uh, my taste in movies (laughs) all in one shot. All right. This week in movies, there are a number (laughs) of titles coming and we've been um, pretty active trying to get to the movies. Has anyone seen Midway? I have not. I no. left Midway early to go watch the World Series. <laughs> but the, I, I got permission from the studio to leave early to go watch the World Series. <laughs> to watch the World Series. Hey, hey, it was it, We could have won that night. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Uh, well, Midway uh, happened when I, was on, when I was on vacation, right. so I have uh, an excuse. Jake, you saw Last Christmas. I did see Last Christmas. Last Christmas. How was it? Horrible. Oh, <laughs> no, it's bad. bad. It's bad. It's 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 really bad. I mean, I I what's what's astounding though, and this is the beautiful thing about movies is is people's perception, because at the end of the movie, everyone was just like, my God, and people were in tears. <laughs> and like, did you did you see that coming at all? And I went, yeah, I watched the freaking trailer. <laughs> did yeah. you not see that coming? Um, I heard the t- the lyrics of the song. It, it's in the song. It's the John. song. Or yeah, Jake, better or worse than season eight of Game of Thrones. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I had All to right. go there. Uh, has anyone seen you, John Cena's uh, playing with fire? I have not seen Hello. playing with fire. <laughs> I gotta, this, uh, this segment, this part of our show, makes me really feel painful. terrible. It's Wait, awful. no, I got one. I got one. Um, oh, Honey Boy. Anyone? Honey Boy? Shia LaBeouf's movie? Honey Boy? Sean, guess what? No, I have not seen that one either. Uh, I do want to say, though. Hey, he's the blend game this week. Honestly, uh, yes, so yes. can I give a shout out to my not- wife real quick? Lauren. Sure. Uh, DC Film Girl on Twitter. She saw Honey Boy at TIFF, blown away by it. And I saw a trailer for it recently. I didn't know it was about the filmmaking of, of Shia's career. Um, yeah, so I saw a trailer for it. And I was like, it looks amazing. And Lauren, it was the first movie she saw at TIFF, and she said it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I cannot Maybe wait. Maybe she see should it. host this show. Yeah. She's more qualified <laughs> than any of us. She's seen or more movies than all segments. three of us. <laughs> all right. Let's get to one that we have all seen and we can finally talk about uh, at. Oh, no. We have to do spoiler free. I'm sorry. Uh, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep. Uh, Jake has an amazing package. Uh, on his YouTube he does. page. <laughs> What's, can, can, God, Gabe, as soon as Gabe, I can, said it. Can you add a little more silence in between before he says YouTube page? Uh, add an extra 10 I'm seconds. not going to say a word. <laughs> on his YouTube page about his trip to the Stanley. If you have not seen it yet, uh, please go check it out. You're so going to get called uh, out for that so, on social oh, media. Ter- as soon as I said it, God, as soon as I said it, was terrible. Can you, uh, that, that could get isolated. Up. Yeah, it should. Uh, totally. Kevin, um, 
start us off and tell us what you thought about Mike Flanagan's return to horror uh, and Stephen King adaptations as well. Uh, the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, the Shining to this day is still the scariest movie I've ever seen. And I was thankful because Jake and I were in L.A. together and Jake had already seen Dr. Sleep. And I wanted to see it with Jake. And because Jake had a lot of knowledge about Stephen King and 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 I have not read the books. I've started reading The Shining um, so Jake has a lot of knowledge about The Shining and Dr. Sleep. He's read both novels and I was just fascinated to learn a lot about the way Kubrick's movie changed certain elements of what uh, Stephen King had written. And so Dr. Sleep was a film that I was so excited to see, but also super scared to see because of how unnerving The Shining was, has been for me over the years. I've only watched it three times, I think. Um, it's not a pleasant experience. It's very hard to watch. It's a very scary film. Um, that heartbeat, that score, that performance. Um, Flanagan blew me away in Haunting of Hill House, especially episode six with the long, continuous shots. Um, Dr. Sleep is, it's in my top 10 of the year, no question. It is a film that was so well executed from a performance standpoint, but also a perfect continuation of Stephen, of, of, of Kubrick's movie, but also really respecting Stephen King's novels. And I only know that information because I talked to Jake a lot about the way Stephen King ended Shining, the way Dr. Sleep kind of brings back elements of what Stephen King had incorporated in his book of The Shining and how that kind of brings things full circle. And I think it's kind of a beautiful movie that exists that I'm happy that Stephen King has been able to witness exist. It makes me happy that the movie exists because I feel like I love Kubrick's movie and The Shining will always be Kubrick's movie to me. It will never be the books. I've not read the book. The Shining will always be Kubrick's movie. So to learn about the reasons and the differences between Kubrick's movie and Shining and the, uh, you know, to me, that made Dr. Sleep that much more special. And Sean Texas, after he saw the movie about being so disturbed by it, this movie doesn't hold back. Um, there are scenes in this film that are truly some of the most disturbing things I have ever seen captured on camera. And it was interesting to me to see a major studio release a film with scene with, with, with a one specific scene that I think anybody who's seen the movie will understand what I'm saying. Um, that is so disturbing and so horrifying that I don't know that I'll ever forget it in the sense of like, and I think that he has captured what Kubrick did. He's captured what King seems to have wanted with these storylines. And I think that Rebecca Ferguson is the MVP here. That performance is unreal. I love Dr. Sleep. I love it so much. Highly recommend it, but do yourself a favor. As Jake said, watch the shining one more time before you watch Dr. Sleep. So well, you can get a good perspective. Because one thing I really want to point out about Dr. Sleep is that it's not like The Shining at all. Like if you read the book, True. it's a totally different type of story. Whereas The Shining is very contained, um, almost claustrophobic. But uh, Kubrick's vibe is there. Like I, I feel like for what, sure. he, what he did with the movie is still lingering in Flanagan's story. In Flanagan's yeah. movie. You know what but I mean? I think but I, mean, I agree people, with but you. If, it's a different film. If casual people go to this thinking they're getting The Shining Part 2, it's not that. The story is not that. Um, and that's by – like King did not write The Shining Part 2. He wrote a very different story. He's essentially catching up with Danny Torrance, the little boy from, from The Shining, as an older man. And he's played by Ewan McGregor. 
and he's an alcoholic because um, he's trying to essentially dull the power of the shine, which he still has. Um, and it takes him to a lot of interesting places that I don't even want to start discussing here in a spoiler-free conversation. Um, but what I just want to emphasize before I turn it over to Jake really fast is that Flanagan was handed a, an adaptation of a book um, that is l- loosely connected to, to Kubrick's Shining. Yes, but it's so fascinating, right? The whole, he made he made a so bold decision to say, "Yes, I'm going to adapt Doctor Sleep," which in and of itself is a really good story and a and a good book, and and it's a very faithful adaptation of that book. But he he also says, "But I'm I'm also going to dive into The Shining too because I'm here and I'm crazy talented, and uh, you're going to let me play around in The Shining sandbox a little bit." And and that to me is what elevates it, you know, to next level type filmmaking. Jakey, as our resident uh, Stephen King aficionado, where does this fall for you? Well, I, I, I'd argue you're just as much of a Stephen King fan as I am. Um, but uh, you know, I think that the, I mean, the I best- met him, so <laughs> the best compliment that I can uh, give this movie is that I think it's absolutely a necessary companion piece to The Shining. I don't think you should be allowed to watch one without the other. You know, earlier this year, we talked a lot about how Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is very much a reflection of what Quentin's going on in his life right now. And I think next week, we're going to touch on this idea that I think all of us have, which is that The Irishman is very much a reflection of what Scorsese's going through in his life right now. And I would argue that... Dr. Sleep is a reflection of Stephen King at this moment in his life, but it's part two of of what he experienced because Shining was very much, a whether he knew it or not, a subconscious reflection of his battle with alcoholism. And Dr. Sleep is all about the power and the struggle uh, to recover. Which is very evident in Ewan McGregor's character. Yes, it's all about recovery. And Stephen King went through a lot to to recover from his his uh, addiction to to alcohol and to drugs, and I think that considering how good both films are, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to Stephen King to not just watch the addiction part of the story, but to also watch the recovery. And I don't think you should. I don't think you should be able to watch one without the other. To but me, for now, Shining fans though, that Doctor Sleep is such a perfect payoff yes, for Shining so. fans. Yeah, like, like, like I, I now look way. at them. Not like in a, like a Kill Bill way, but I now look at them as like one story, and I think of it as like whenever the, when The Shining ends, I now think of it as like, well, that's half the story, and the other half begins with Doctor I'm Sleep. Not, I'm glad Doctor Sleep exists. It's funny because I don't. It's you ever see people online say I didn't know I needed this in my life. Like Doctor Sleep was such a phenomenal thing for me because I, I'm so happy I saw it with Jake because I didn't know a lot about the reasonings of King's disliking of the way Kubrick handled some of the Jack Torrance stuff in The Shining. And knowing the history of what King thought of Shining and how Flanagan handles Dr. Sleep, it's almost like he's like, what Flanagan does perfectly based on what I've learned about the history of these movies is he's almost like he's finessed a way to please King in a beautiful way but also stay true and appreciate what Kubrick did. It's like this, he finds this like strange balance where he's able to give both of them respect. That's whatever I was with, uh, with, and this is here, the the sound of the name drop. Whenever I was with Flanagan uh, (laughs) in in Colorado, (laughs) he said that, you know, they were going back and forth, you know, because they didn't need Stephen King's permission to, 
do this because they because Warner Brothers had all the the shining rights and everything. But he obviously he respected King and he wanted King's blessing. And King said, "Okay, here, here's the deal. I'll give you my blessing, but there I have two stipulations. You can't change the ending to the book, and you can't go back to the Overlook Hotel." Oh, and again, he said like that? went back to the script and he went back to the script and he's sitting here and he's going, "What am I?" Because for those that don't know. The Overlook Hotel burns down at the end of the novel, The Shining. In Dr. Sleep, it's just a patch of land. There is no Overlook Hotel in the novel, Dr. Sleep. The trailer reveals, obviously, clearly it goes back. Because the average person out there has seen the movie but not read the book, I would argue. Not yeah. to discount yes, people's ability right. to read. Yeah. Um, so you got to sort of address. And so he came up with the solution that, that he came up with. And went to Stephen King and said, okay, here's the deal. I got this idea, but I'm going to change the ending and I need to go back to the Overlook Hotel. (laughs) But once he pitched what, yeah, once he pitched what he wanted to do without giving too much, King went, okay, I can can get on board with that. And apparently I just saw an interview today that he said that Dr. Sleep makes him forgive The Shining. It's interesting. and I remember I, I, I was able to do the press junket for Dr. Sleep and I was having conversations with Flanagan about this idea of when the teaser trailer came out, like he, people were wondering what shots were recreated from The Shining, what shots were actually Kubrick's. This actually blew my mind. This is probably something you guys already know. I didn't know this. Um, but in the teaser trailer, the elevator scene was the only thing that was the real shot from The Shining. That That's known. But in the movie... Um, he does his own version of that shot. And the reason why the teaser trailer had the Kubrick shot of the elevator was because his effects weren't done yet. So, Oh, that's funny. Interesting. I I need to post that interview. It's actually interesting. So he talks about this idea that um, when you watch the original Shining film, um, that the perspective of where you are in that shot as the blood is coming down the elevator, you're on the ground, right? Because the camera takes the blood over top of it. In Dr. Sleep, it's from a different perspective. I won't say whose or what or where it is, but it's not the same ground-level perspective. So when they released the teaser for Dr. Sleep, his effect shot, so Kubrick did it practically, obviously. Um, so they had the blood. They, I think, Jake told me a great story about multiple times how they had to do it. Flanagan had to do it digitally. So the effects were done. It's interesting, right? So when you watch the teaser for Dr. Sleep, that's Kubrick's footage. But in the actual interesting. movie, in the actual movie, it is a fully digital recreation of Flanagan's version wow. of the story. And my dumbass was like, oh, that's totally Kubrick's shot. It's fascinating to me. So Flanagan actually told me in my interview, there are three shots in Dr. Sleep that are from Kubrick's movie. And I'm curious if either Ooh, of you know. I, I think I know. I know. I think I know one. I'm curious if you know that. It's not a spoiler. I'm just curious. I, if think, I, I think one of them is an exterior of the Overlook. Okay. Is one um, uh, a shot of room two three seven? No. I'll, one I, of them? I'll, I'll put. I'll send this to you guys. But there are. And this actually might be a fun game. Did, for I, did I get one of them? That the Overlook driving shot is one of them. Um, the what's fascinating you know what's, to me. I would actually put this out to our viewers, Gabe, if you don't mind. Tweet us at Real Blend, at Real Blend. When you see Dr. Sleep this weekend, if you can find the three shots. Yeah, I like that. That Flanagan pulled from Kubrick's movie. I'm I curious. Te- I want to text you. 
you it's know funny. What? I, be, I, Flanagan I, like, actually put me on the spot and goes, did you recognize them? I was like, I kind of, but I was like, he goes, you know what? I won't waste your time. I'll just tell you what they are. <laughs> I have it on video. I'll, I'll put it the, out there. But the scene that took me out of it though, is when, um, you and McGregor, he looks through the door where the ax yes. went through. I love that. And then he goes, here's you and yeah, and I, that, I was like, why yeah. do they keep that in? Right. So awkward. Kevin, yeah. do you know Mike Flanagan's favorite Beatles song? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Wait, favorite Beatles song? <laughs> yep. No. Yeah, he's a George Harrison guy. His favorite Beatles song is While My Guitar Gently Dr. Sleeps. Oh, yes! That was beautiful! <laughs> that was, you know what? That I'm, was actually, I'm actually really well my done. Puns. That was freaking That was really perfect. well done. <laughs> that was amazing. All right. I, I actually, uh, I, I need to post this, but you McGregor told me an amazing story about shooting yes, that moment. You and- here, I actually asked them. I was, like, you didn't, I was like, you didn't go up to that, that door and go, good. "Here's Johnny, did you?" And he was like, "Let's go." No. <laughs> okay, can I, can I, give, can I just one quick little tease thing? No. While I was watching the film, I kept thinking, "Holy crap! How great would it have been to have been on that set, to be on oh. the set of the Overlook oh, Hotel?" If only we knew. And and I Someone. totally forget. And we discussed this like months and months and months and months and months and months yeah. ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Gabe reminds me. Dude, I was on that set. <laughs> and yes. I went, holy shit! Yeah. Like, I want to know what set, scenes like, so you Gabe saw. Is going, Gabe has promised yes. he will come on the show next week to discuss what it was like being on one of what I think would have been the coolest sets of all time to be on. This is basically honestly, like you got to be on the set of The Shining. This is like the biggest tease, probably That's bigger than tease. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. This is yeah. bigger than Now Joaquin you Be- have to do it. Tease. Like, Gabe... Talking like it's yeah. funny because like like we have all seen Doctor Sleep now and now I want to <laughs> know Gabe. What Gabe the person who was talking. on the set's the only person that hasn't seen the movie. <laughs> That's actually super funny. <laughs> and you want to know the best part about it is he was supposed to go to a screening tonight, but we made him stay here and record <laughs> and listen to us talk about how great oh. it is. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and he's sick. <laughs> hey, the, uh, Sean, did yeah. you hear about um, uh, did you hear about Mike this? Flanagan's favorite Edward Norton movie? <laughs> um, no, I don't know. What is it? What is it? Doctor Sleeping the Faith. <laughs> hey! Have you guys hey! heard about uh, uh, Mike Flanagan's favorite gaming console? Oh, Ooh. no. What is it, Jake? Please tell me. Gerald's Game Boy? Wait, what was it? What? 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 Fuck you guys, man! <laughs> he did Gerald's game. I honestly didn't hear it. I, I, I was I wasn't doing a bit. I actually did not hear the joke. You know what? I'm not this, even kidding. This, this fucking show, I, dude. I actually did not hear the joke. I'm not kidding you. Ninety episodes. You guys have turned into real assholes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we both knew as soon uh. as you started to say it. Uh. We were not going to give you an inch. <laughs> All right, this week's blend oh, game, everybody. God. I don't even want to play. I don't even want to play this stupid blend oh, game. Play the blend game. It's hashtag Shia LaBeouf blend. God, we're running out of people, aren't we? And I've been told that uh, Kevin, you get to go first. Oh, that's interesting because I haven't picked mine yet. Um, let me. Th- <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I sent mine in today. Jake made a good point in the podcast today, like, uh, or in our text thread. Um, I right, actually, I do have one. Uh, I'm going to go with Disturbia. Um, and I think, Distur- Disturbia. I, think Dis- I think that film was <laughs> that a song? on a, it was amazing uh, when I first Rihanna. saw it. Um, 
And it was a, it was a great reminder of Rear Window, and it was a phenomenally executed, essentially kind of remake slash reboot of what Rear Window was. And I think um, it made me appreciate Rear Window more. And I think I think Shia LaBeouf might be one of the most underrated actors working today. And I'll, I'll never forget this. I I love the first Transformers movie, and I remember seeing it for the first time, and, and, and I put it on my top ten that year. And I just I just remember the 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 way he reacted in those scenes. You know what? I'm actually going to switch to Transformers if you don't mind. And here's why. Here's why. And I, and I don't I don't mean to do that in the middle of the show, but I, here's why. Transformers was something that I had seen for the first time, where I just never seen visual effects like that. And I want to give props to Shia LaBeouf because. The way he performed those scenes with nothing there, his discussions with Optimus were so real to me. And like there was something special about that performance because it was a kid who was genuinely geeked out about what was going on. It was a connection to his character's grandfather. And I just loved the journey that Shia's character goes on in that movie. And as big budget and explosion heavy as that film truly is, Shia's character grounded it for me um, in a way that made me feel like almost last action hero where I was going on an adventure with that character through the storyline. And I, I'm actually glad I mentioned Disturbia first only because it's such an underrated movie that I think people don't people forget about and how great Disturbia truly was because everyone said it was a copy of Rear Window. But it was it was an homage to Rear Window. And that's the way I thought about it. But if I'm picking my favorite Shia LaBeouf film, I'm going to go Transformers only because when I first started off as a critic, this is a personal story, which is why I think we choose these movies, right? This is the point of the game every week. We're doing best. Um, this is a favorite thing. and Favorite, I'll never, not favorite. I'll, I'll never forget this. I was, I was a struggling critic first starting off as a movie reviewer, and I had no press contacts. Um, I had no way of getting on press lists and I was an intern at a radio station and when I was there I walked by one morning and the radio host had a movie reviewer on who was doing movie reviews on the phone from California or something and I said hey I love movies just as much as that guy why why don't you have someone in studio to talk about the movies so I walked by the one of the hosts green room one morning and it was and I said hey any chance you would let me I love movies. Can I come on and do movie reviews for you? Keep in mind, I had no credentials, zero contacts, no way of getting on a press list. And I was just lucky enough to have a buddy of mine who worked at a movie theater. And this is back when 35 millimeter projectors were still a big deal. He would test his prints every Thursday night. So I would go to his theater and watch all the movies, two or three films, and then come on the show the next day and review the films. Anyway, so that built up for over a couple of years and I was able to get on the press list finally. And when Transformers dropped... I went and saw it as an official critic and a member of the DC critics. And when the movie ended, I was so blown away by what Michael Bay did. And going back to Shia LaBeouf, the way he grounded the material, where he made it feel like he was a kid who was experiencing these gigantic robots for real. It felt that real to me. Um, I put that film on my top 10 list that year. And I remember a critic coming up to me and saying, Kevin, you might not, as a critic, you might not want to put a movie like Transformers on your top 10 list. I'm like, why? I, I, I loved it. I loved it. He goes, it's not really like a critic type film, right? It's not like, you know, it, it's a different, like, it's like, you know, those Fast and Furious movies. They're not films you normally see on people's top 10 lists. And that was a very interesting point for me because I, I had to make a decision because I was like, you know what? I want to be a critic 
who appreciates entertainment value. And I want to be a critic who can say that Transformers is freaking awesome and the movie rocks and the action is amazing and the performances are great and Shia LaBeouf's fantastic in it. And it was one of those decisions where I feel like had I had I bowed down to the idea of what a critic should put on their top 10 list, I don't know that I would be doing what I'm doing today. I feel like we all love what we do and we all are speak our honest truths about what we like and people connect to us because of those honest truths. And I'm not trying to get deep about Transformers, but that that was a pivotal moment for me as a film critic, seeing that film, loving that movie, loving that performance and sticking to my guns and keeping that on my top 10 list because I loved it so much. So that comes down to really why I would pick that as my favorite Shia LaBeouf film because it was such a monumental moment for me as a reviewer to stand my ground and go, you know what? There's nothing wrong with a film like Transformers. I'm putting that on my top 10 list and it's awesome. And I think Shia LaBeouf grounds that film and he is he's the audience. He takes us on the ride and that's why I love that performance. So there you go. Awesome. Good answer. I love that. See, you, sh- you saved Shia LaBeouf blend and made it a really good personal story. It's um, honestly, I didn't plan on telling that story. It just kind of, it came to me right after I said Disturbia. I was like, you know what? I need to go back because that's the film. That's, that's the great. film that hit me. Uh, I'm going to throw Shia under the bus briefly and say that the character of uh, Mutt from Indiana Jones is the worst goddamn character <laughs> I've ever seen in Jeez. any film ever. That's and, mean, man. And he is in the worst scene that Steven Spielberg has ever filmed, ever, which is Mutt swinging with the monkeys through the vines uh, and and landing in the Jeep that uh, Kate Blanchett is driving in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal. I saw that movie one time. I don't even remember that scene, to be honest. I want Actually, to, they're I, all on Netflix. I tried to turn it on the other day to try to see, like, maybe it's not as bad as I remember it being. Yeah. It is. It he, is. He is, he is truly bad. bad in it. Do you remember that scene, I didn't even scene, get to him Jake? before I you, turned it off. Oh, of wow, course. Jesus. You have to, Kevin, I really want you, I implore you, to go back to that movie and but just why? find the scene where, he's, where he but swings why? on a vine. <laughs> because Spielberg, in all of his glory, for some reason, left that scene in the movie. And I don't know if I'll ever forgive him for that. Do you think he knows Spielberg knows it's bad? Yes. He definitely okay. knows it's bad. Yes. Um, my choice, however, uh, is a film that came out earlier this year. And it ends up being, when I, when I honestly looked over Shia's uh, filmography, I realized that Probably his best role and my favorite film of his is The Peanut Butter Falcon. Amazing uh, choice. Amazing <clears throat> choice. I still haven't and seen you, it. You know what The Peanut Butter Falcon is for Shia? It's Rain Man. And he's yes. Tom Cruise. It's Rain Man and he's Tom Cruise. He um, is on a journey, a road trip, with uh, a man who's mentally disabled. He has to play extremely frustrated with him at first uh, and selfish and... Never mean, but always just like almost how the audience would feel like, where's this going? What is this? How long are we going to do this kind of thing? And and then just eventually evolve and grow and love the love, like form of, of fraternal bond. And it's 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 a tremendous performance. Like I know that Shia gets knocked a lot, you know, but um, 
he's he's a really good actor. He's just sometimes he makes bad choices in terms of some of the films that he that he makes. He did get lost in that sort of blockbuster phase. Kevin, I know you like the first Transformers, but I love some of them are, some of them are bad. No, some of the other ones are really bad. Oh, he got out of them. Two, um, four, and five are awful. Oof. He's it, he was John McEnroe and Borg versus McEnroe, and he was fantastic. He was really good in Honey Boy, but Peanut Butter Falcon is when he really just delivered a fantastic, like it's just a, an eye-opening performance, and he formed such an amazing bond with that kid Zach from the movie. It was just such a beautiful film. Jake, you gotta go out of your way and say it. Uh, no, hopefully I, we'll get a, a disc of it. No, so I really do want to see it. Yeah, I, it, yeah, we'll, we're gonna get we'll get a screener of it. I really do want to see it. And in fact, whenever we announced that this was gonna be this week's blend game, my first thought was like, shit, I haven't seen the movie that probably would be my pick. Yeah, if I were to see it. Well, what is your pick then? Ha- since you have not seen Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, my pick is Transformers. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I had no idea by the way. That, that, yeah. that is the genuine like. Awesome. Solely for his ability to say the word no multiple times in a row. No, 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 a tether to reality. The people in the theater have to have some sort of like, that's how I would like to think I would relate. And he has, he walks a very thin line because he is sort of like this dork, awkward guy, like bumbling around Megan Fox. But yes, but yeah, bumbling. Yeah. Um, but he also like is still pretty cool in the movie. And so he plays this role of, uh, relatable, but, in, in the sense that I think all of us would like to think that that's how we would react in those situations because he plays it just awkward enough so that we're like, oh, he's kind of like us. And then we see him put in these perilous situations and he handles it so well that we think maybe that's how I'd handle it. <laughs> like maybe I would run toward the danger and not away from these giant robots screaming. No, 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 no. Like he's he's so so he does a really good job of being both relatable and the action hero at the same time. And I feel like these days in the days of The Rock and and the Hobbs and Shaw's and everything, you got to pick one or the other. And there aren't enough people that are chosen to be somewhere in between. And, and he do does a really good job of yeah, that. And, and I agree with Kevin. Um, Transformers was also on my top 10 list. Yeah. Year. And Jake, Jake, um, Jake uses a good word tether because, and there's like an exact scene that Jake, what Jake just described happens in a, in a very specific scene in the film when Bumblebee takes him and Megan Fox in the car. And it's that, it's that factor of Jake just said of like, he's confused as what's going on, but he's trying to play it cool. And like, we're him. We are him in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, a, I, I think a really bad example of how this character is used, and I don't mean to like knock the movie because obviously I love the movie, but I always think of Ellen Page in Inception. Like to me, that character is a really bad example of yeah, like yeah, yeah. they need to explain things yes. to us. Therefore, her character is there to explain things to She's her. exposition. So she is us. Yes, she is us. But I think that's a, that, that was, it, it's used very poorly. I think it, Sam Witwicky, Right, that's the character's name. Is is the same kind of role, but handled much more organically. Like it makes sense that well, he's there. No one else picked it, or people that we uh, put out on social media. We had a lot of participation this week, but people went with Kimberly Sue, 
uh, Caitlin and several others went with, peanut, went with peanut butter falcon. Uh, Matt Posentino picked American honey. Anyone uh, pick furry? Well, John Palmer, Arthur Mingo, and several others picked uh, it's fury. fury. It's pronounced fury. <laughs> that's, that, did you ever see that? Fury is that Galvanakis, like between two ferns? <laughs> yeah. He's interviewing Brad Pitt and he's like, so let's talk furry. about your new movie, Furry. <laughs> that episode with Brad Pitt is amazing, by the way. He goes down some pretty crazy paths with him if you haven't seen All it. Right. And Corey Holland uh, tweeted a very personal message. That we love seeing from you guys. Uh, and then he also, he, he chose Honey Boy. And so um, I, I want to thank Corey for sharing uh, that message on social media. It was really fantastic. And then, uh, again, Honey Boy is a great pick and a really great performance by Shia. All right. We, um, we've been doing this uh, over the past couple of months. <clears throat> we've struggled with some of the decades, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. We have don't, now Sean, reached. Sean, don't do this to me. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Ash- I can't. Can't do 90s blend. I can't. Hashtag 90s blend. No, nope. I really thought I had my answer down, but out. now I don't. You I can't wanna... bow out. I'm out. Well, you can't. You certainly can't bow I, out. I, I, I'm giving myself a stipulation. I cannot choose Terminator 2. That's fine. Yeah, I no! almost feel. No! What? I think you should be able to choose Terminator 2. <sighs> no, because it's too obvious. We can't start giving each other stipulations just to it's make it easy for ourselves. Favorite movie of all time, though. It, 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 it's, it's, it's done for. It's my, it's my number the, one. The whole point of this is that it puts up T2 against Pulp Fiction, against X, against but Y. Like, that's... Why? You gotta do it. Can yes. I? You gotta do can it. I? You can't give yourself a stipulation to make it easier. Gabe, back me up. Gabe's, Gabe Gabe is saying no stipulations on decade blends. I, I, I Honestly, I'm asking you guys a favor. Let me choose something besides T2. I, I want to no. make it interesting you, you for the show. You can if you want to, but yeah, you it's can. not a stipulation. But it's not a stipulation. But, it, but if but you it, choose something other than T two, then you choose against T two. That's like that's not fair, man. Come on, man. Let, let, let Dude, me, that's the whole point of these. And if let me you put don't that pick, one aside. And if it's you, too if you do pick no. T two, if you do pick T two, that means you're choosing against Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I mean that's not right, man. What are you guys you doing? Have, to that's me? Okay, wait, so, wait. Gabe is saying you can bring a number two, but T two. And by that, he means a second choice, not... Oh, I can't go number but, two. But, okay. but something no. has to be your number one. But T2 has to be the official okay. pick. Then but I'm then you saying can right now, two. in this episode, that T2 yes. is my pick for 90s blend. And I'm going to give fine. you my number two next week. Okay. That's fine. Okay. All right. The Thank rest you. of you guys can play along on social media using hashtag 90s blend 90s blend 90s blend you can also let us know your pick via email uh using the email address realblend at cinemablend.com while you're there do us a favor for god's sakes leave us a review people we've been giving you 91 free episodes of this amazing podcast oh the least you can do and is pretty soon we're gonna start charging you because sean's kids have to go to college <laughs> and we need a marketing budget hey sean um, yes I was oh, just no. curious if you possibly heard about Humphrey Bogart's. No, 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 <laughs> no we're not Bogart's doing any more of these. Favorite, Just screw you guys. Humphrey Bogart's favorite Dr. Uh, uh, Mike Flanagan movie? <laughs> the Peanut Butter Maltese Falcon? <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, whoa! Well, that doesn't make any sense, but yeah, that's actually brilliant. Um, Humphrey Quick. Bogart's favorite Mike Flanagan movie is the big, the big Doctor Sleep. The Big Doctor Sleep. Thank that's you, a good one. That's actually Thank pretty good. Okay, reminder. Gerald's Game Boy makes sense, you assholes. I Remind- still don't know your joke, Jake. Wait, what I, did I, you I say? still haven't heard it. Say it. Gerald's Game Boy. What? What is Mike Flanagan's favorite gaming console? Gerald's yeah. Game Boy. I don't get oh, it. Gerald's Game Boy. I keep... I, 
I keep thinking you're saying like <laughs> girls Game Boy. I still don't get the joke. I'm sorry. I'm, wait, wait, Mike Flanagan directed a film called Gerald's Game. It's a Stephen King. Oh, the movie. one with um, yeah. the, the one in the bed. Yeah, I didn't know that was you know, Flanagan. The the best I love jokes. That movie. Are, the best jokes are the ones Carla you have to explain. Yeah. You know what? Well, maybe if I did a podcast with smarter with people that actually saw movies. Uh, we're heading Peanut to Washington, D.C. Salty's Falcon was like... Ga- <laughs> That's a pretty good one. <laughs> Ga- Wait, I'm not plugging the thing? Am I plugging the thing? The powers at Cinema right. Blend. Please do a behind-the-scenes video of Gabe editing this episode this week. <laughs> I, I, I need this. Poor I Gabe. need this. He's <laughs> and so he's sick. sick. Okay. That's the best part about okay. it. Okay, all right. Shh. Brief reminder. Uh, we are heading to D.C. We're going to be there for a meetup on January 4th. Saturday afternoon to celebrate our 100th episode. The venue and the exact time are going to be determined, but we really need you guys to sign up early and let us know how many people are potentially coming because that's going to dictate the size of the place that we're going to get. So sign up numbers are very, very important to Gabe. He's running a very tight ship here. So go to bit.ly. Bit.ly forward slash real blend DC. Of course, you can look for the link in the description of this podcast right now. Uh, hit us up on social media as well, too. You know, it's been really cool. Some people who have been signing up and grabbing tickets have been sharing on the real blend Twitter account. And they're like, see you guys in, in January. What and, is uh, it? Bit.ly forward slash real blend DC. Now, Jakey, you don't have to get a ticket like you're in. You're one of the hosts. I just want him to know I'm going to be there. Hurry up. Okay. Follow us uh, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell. Drop us a review on iTunes, guys. It means the world to us. We will be back next week with episode number 92. Is that right? 92. Uh, and we're going to have, who's the guest? Bill Condon. Bill Condon, the director of The Good Liar, is going to be our official guest. Academy Award winner, so, Bill Condon. Academy Award. That's a great conversation. You guys got to hear Jake's conversation with that. So until we are able to run that on next week's show, we will Done. leave you with. Well, oh, gosh, I tripped over you. Kid. God, Kevin, I'm sorry. Three. Do it again. One, three, two, World's Game Boy. Dunkirk. <laughs> Charles <laughs> Game Boy is actually pretty funny, man. It is good. I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't get it. We just tripped on you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.